And uh, uh, my name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors here uh, on staff. Sean, bringing it. This is the first time I've ever been around when Sean's led worship. And bro, come on. Love it. That was great. Um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 47. The name of our church is Freshwater. 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 I think sometimes we can go through life and we forget um, things, they're familiar, and uh, we get kind of used to them. The name of our church is Freshwater. Never think about that recently and what that means. Now, you may have heard me talk about freshwater in Ezekiel 47. I want you to don't check out, stick with me, um, because I, I think it's important that we come back and talk about this name again. It wasn't chosen out of hat. We did that, and that didn't work out too well. We chose the name Life Church, and then another church came along right down the road here, Radiant Life Church, and well, how do you compete with that? And they went public before we did. So I don't know if anybody remember that moment when we did that and we realized that church, <laughs> Radiant Life Church, had come out. Oh, I was, I was so unbiblical in that moment. Um, and yet, it has turned out to be, I think, one of the coolest God stories of our church's history. That moment when another church took the name Radiant Life, which is great. God bless them. They love Jesus. Yes, they do. They love Jesus. How about you? They're, they're, they're pushing people towards Christ. I am, I'm a big fan of Radiant Life Church. Don't get me wrong. Um, but the, the longer I am at this church, the more certain I am that it was God who renamed this church. And in the beginning, it didn't feel like that. It felt more just kind of like a pragmatic, administrative, body life kind of thing. But I'm convinced he did name us. It comes from Ezekiel 47. I'm reading in the ESV version. He said, it says this, uh, Ezekiel's the one writing this and getting a vision from God, and he is the angel of the Lord taking Israel, uh, not Israel, Ezekiel, into this, or, or through this vision here. So, then he brought me to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, where the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east, which is now facing away from the Mediterranean towards in towards the desert, the wilderness. So he brought me out by way of the north gate, um, led me around on the outside of the outer gate that faces toward the east, and behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Going eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and led me through water that was ankle deep. 
He measured, a, again he measured a thousand. He led me through the water and it was knee deep. Again he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was waist deep. And again he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass through for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? And then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabia where it enters the sea. When the, when the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh, meaning the sea, the Dead Sea. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything will live where the river flows. Fishermen will stand beside the sea, from Engedi to Engelim, it will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are to be left for salt, which they used for worship purposes. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail. But they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing let's pray lord may your word become alive to us today lord it, you say your word is living and active sharper than any sword double-edged sword able to pierce right to the heart of things. Lord, we just release the power of your word, this eternal word on us today. Amen. So this is a vision that God gave Ezekiel, and it's an incredible vision of of the desert and the Dead Sea becoming alive. It is an incredible vision of water coming up, right, from the sanctuary and flowing out. But it didn't just uh, start here. It, it actually starts back at the beginning of Ezekiel, and Ezekiel is this whole book of God calling them to repentance, calling them back to himself, calling them to turn away from idolatry and sin and, and all these things. And you finally get to chapter 37, and, a, and it, the book starts to pivot. And, and what it starts to go towards is after all this, you know, judgment's coming, judgment's coming, turn, turn, turn. Chapter 37, God starts to say, hey, this is what I'm going to do. And he gives this picture of a valley, and it's filled with dry bones, which are the dead bones the spirit, as a metaphor of Israel. They're dead. And, and all of a sudden, they come to life. And, and they, they're back to people. They're living and breathing again. It's this miracle of restoration where they, if they turn, this is what's going to happen. And then it goes on in chapter 40 all the way up through 46 where God spends a lot of time all of a sudden talking about the temple. 
Like, you're going to do this this way, and the priesthood, and, and how you offer the sacrifices, and how you care for the temple. And, and you're, if you're reading through that, you don't have a context. You're like, well, why would you all of a sudden do, like, this awesome thing and now talk about the temple? Well, for Israel, the temple was where they worshipped. It was the location they worshipped. It's where the presence of God was. And it was God saying, if you turn to me and you take care of your worship, and, and you do it in a sacred manner, and you come back, and you are serious about worshiping me. Ezekiel 47 is this picture of what God would do if they took their worship seriously. And so it's this miraculous picture of God, this water, fresh water, coming up from the temple, and the fresh water is a metaphor for the presence of God, Right? So God's presence starts to fill up the sanctuary and and spills out and everywhere it goes, right? It brings life and healing and out of the life trees and, and fish, food, begins to sustain the people, the nation. You know, it's crazy to think it was 10 years ago we changed our name. I was just doing the math, 10 and a half years ago. Um, Man, it can't be that long ago. Uh, and I remember it was maybe a week or two after we got, we realized Life Church wasn't going to happen. And, and I was just, you know, when it came to this, I was just kind of like, I was mad. I was so like, God, what in the world? Um, you knew, I, we sensed you calling us to do this. This wasn't easy uh, to change it because of tradition and things that are meaningful. And, and, and it, you know, this was, come on, Lord, like, why would you do this to us? And I finally said, well, that's it. I, I give up trying to pick a name, whatever. We'll go nameless, you know. And, um, and it, it was ironic, right? Because isn't that what God wants for us to quit doing it? And God's like, oh, finally, Brooks is out of the way, <laughs> right? I mean, isn't that how it often works? We get to that point, and it's, it's more out of my own heart and, and pouting and temper tantrum rather than any holiness movement, you know. But I got out of the way. And it was a couple weeks later as I was getting frustrated, and I just gave up trying to figure it out. Uh, former pastor of our church, uh, Steve McMaster, had come in, and um, he was up in the old sanctuary in the balcony. And he came to my office and he said, I, I had a vision. I just got a vision from the Lord. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, he says, well, I think it's from the Lord. Um, you, you can do what, what you want. And his vision was, was this. He was up in the balcony. And, and as he looked down, he saw the whole main floor of the auditorium was filled with people. And we were just in this worship service. And he said, and we were all focused on God. And he says, as a worship service progressed he said water started coming up from the floor and he said but nobody paid attention to it and it kept rising and rising and the worship just it just kept getting more intense and 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 people were just all into it and as the service kept going it got higher and higher and pretty soon it was over our heads and and this is where you know where visions you know how does that work with reality how how can you worship and but it's a vision, right? And he said pretty soon it just filled up the entire room, but nobody paid attention to that because everybody was paying attention to God and worshiping him. And he said the water, for, the water he says, seemed to be the presence of God, and he said there was two words. He said it was God's love and God's grace. 
that were covering everybody. And then he just kind of said, so that's my vision. I don't know what you do with it. And then he walked out. I mean, we, I mean seriously, it was like maybe 15, 20 seconds. And he's just like, it's, it's yours to do with ever, whatever. And uh, he never asked me about it again, which was interesting. And I was like, well, that's a cool vision. I don't know what to do with that. Um, so I went to the prayer meeting the next, uh, I don't know, it was two days or one day later, whatever, it was that same week, and uh, shared it with them. And, um, and I had a, a neighbor there, a friend, um, kind of a, more of acquaintance from our neighborhood, and uh, he was a Pentecostal background. And so we were just talking. I said, hey, you guys got to hear this vision. So I, I explained this vision, and he literally jumps out of his seat, and he's like, that's a freshwater of God. That's a freshwater of God. That's a prophecy for your church. That's a prophecy for your church. That's Ezekiel 47. It's Ezekiel 47. You guys just had something. This is huge. You got to jump on this and everything. And we're like, whoa there. And uh, I just remember, like, I mean, I, I didn't know there was 47 chapters in Ezekiel, and... There was that moment, and so I'm getting out my book and my Bible, and I'm, I'm reading this because he's just going, he came literally unglued, and he's just like, that's a prophecy for your church, and what's interesting is, okay, so I finally give up. I'm in my tantrum. I get this vision. I share it, and God has to bring in someone who's a Pentecostal who walks in faith, who walks with this understanding and openness to the Spirit's leading that I still was not totally comfortable with or sure about. And it's this brother in Christ who is so comfortable with it that is able to call it what it is and give the interpretation, which was a whole nother journey of, well, what else do I have to learn here, Lord? Like, what else am I missing in faith and, and how you move? But it was somebody outside the church who came in and gave the interpretation and said, this is from your church. And it was shortly there within the next week or so, I think it was the next day or two, that we, we looked up fresh water and we just said, is this, is this the name? This seems like the name. And from there, the rest is history. But what was interesting is the name Freshwater. it wasn't a prophecy of what necessarily God was going to do as much as what God had already been doing and was doing and would continue to do. And we never shared it with the church as a whole for several years, that vision, because we didn't want to play that God card. Um, we just wanted to see. The leadership kind of hit it in our hearts to say, Lord, is this what you're doing? And it just kept being confirmed over and over and over again. we get done with this process and it just as the days years went by it became so apparent that I, God really named us he gave us the name that he wanted for our church freshwater He wanted his presence flowing in the temple. He wanted his presence flowing in us. It's our story, and the implication is he, he wants 
his presence flowing in you. He wants his presence flowing in us and to such a degree that it would flow out of us into this room, into each other's lives, and into this world. And God was doing this. I mean, we were seeing things happen. People would come in who were just visiting, or, and they would just talk about, you know, being overwhelmed by the presence and start crying. And we had, we had tough guys. We had white-collar. We had blue-collar guys. We had young women, older women, working women, moms at home. We had all kinds of walks of life of people coming in saying, what in the world is happening when I walk into these doors? And why is this happening? I remember a guy in his, in his later 50s, some of you guys know him, Paul, uh, Paul Dersh, and he shared this publicly, but I, I remember that, that day when he came up to me, and he, he was in his late 50s, I think, something like that, tall, lanky, wiry dude, and he just came up and he goes, what's going on? <laughs> and I'm like, I, I have no idea. And he goes, I cannot stop crying when I come into this place. And Paul had a hard life. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, every time I come into this room, I start crying. And he says, you have to realize, I haven't cried since I was in grade school when my parents disowned me and kicked me out of the house. And I made a vow then I would never, ever let someone see me cry again. And I haven't cried since I came into this room. What's going on? And I said, well, that's... That's the presence of Jesus. And maybe for the first time in your life, it's safe to weep for the things you ought to have wept for with the Heavenly Father. And he's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> he was, it was just all so new, and it was all so like nothing he'd ever experienced. And these stories haven't stopped. We still hear this happen. People come in. Our name's Freshwater. God named us after his presence. Isn't that interesting? This passage is a vision of what God will do if we take seriously worshiping him. Let me say that again. This is a vision of what God does when his people take seriously the call to worship. In the Old Testament, it was the temple, the physical place. In the New Testament, Paul very clearly states in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, don't you know, and it's a whole passage about how they're giving in to temptation and to sin, and he's saying, but don't you know that your bodies are, are the temple of the Holy Spirit, God, who lives in you? Like, it's this question, like, they don't understand that? Like, we are now, this is the new covenant, God in us, his presence in us, therefore fresh water flowing in us and out of us. And there's also a piece to the, the idea of the family of God coming together, and as we worship, his presence is here and manifests itself and flows here and flows out of us. And the complete picture is out of us, not only touch each other's lives as a family of God, but to touch this world. 
each of us the, the fresh water of God, the presence of God in us. So let me ask you a question. How, how's your worship doing personally? Are you taking care of worship? Is giving God the worship he deserves on your radar? And, and I'm not talking about just a Sunday morning thing. It's worship God is, you know, a famous phrase, 24-7. It doesn't stop. The past couple weeks, I have been with two families who have lost much. And in both cases, in the middle of grief, profound grief, they worshiped God. I mean, we're praying, and they're saying, Lord, you are worthy. You are Lord. You are in control. That was priceless worship. This, this holy ground. That wasn't cheap. That wasn't easy. That was priceless. The Bible talks about our worship being a fragrant offering, and I can only imagine just the, that incense, that aroma that just filled the courts of heaven as they praised him. Are you worshiping God personally? In your own time, when no one is watching, is your worship, or does your worship cost you anything? What is God telling you right now? Lord, just, just speak to all of us today. What, let us know what your thoughts are of our times of worship with you and our heart. How's your worship doing corporately? If we talk personally, how's your worship doing personally? Do you show up? Show up on time, show up early. I know some of you are like, oh great, this is the one morning I was late and whatever. I'm not looking at anybody. Do you show up ready to worship? Do you show up expecting who, who, or, or whoever's up front, that, you know, I hope they really, you know, get me there because it's really up to them, right? Or, or do you show up ready to just worship? I was reading a book recently by a guy named John Bevere, and um, it's called The Fear of the Lord. And he was invited to speak down in Brazil at this big conference, and um, about 4,000 people were at this one venue, this auditorium, I think they were doing four different sites, and, but he was the main speaker that night, and uh, came down, and he said, it was a packed house, he said, I was so excited coming there, walking in, you could just sense the music, but he says, as the service progressed through, everybody was just standing around talking, wandering around the room, and he said, very few people were actually worshiping, and he said, you know, the leadership had prayed for this, prepared for this, the worship team was ready, they were prepared, and they're, we're in the middle of worship, and, and very few are actually engaged. 
They're just doing their own thing. And he said, it just kept going. And then finally, one guy got up, and he was supposed to give like this devotional for like 20 minutes or whatever, and he did, and the people sat down. He said, it kind of quieted a little bit, but people kept talking. You could hear this, just this murmur going on as this guy is talking. And he said, the whole time I'm just sitting there going, he says, I, I could sense God's presence wasn't there, even though everything was primed for that. But God's presence wasn't there, and I could sense as it went farther and farther along in the service that God wasn't pleased, and he wasn't going to show up. And he said, I started to just sense that God wanted me to address it. So he said, I got up, and he said, and people were still talking. And he says, this is about an hour, hour and 20 minutes or 30 minutes into the service. People are still talking. So he said, I just stood up there for a full minute. And he said, it finally got very quiet. And this is what he said. He opened with this question. I'll just read you a few lines of this. He said, how would you like it if, while you spoke with someone, they ignored you the entire time or continued to carry on a conversation with the person next to them? Or if their eyes roamed with disinterest and disrespect? You wouldn't like it, would you? What if every time you rang the doorbell to visit your neighbor's house, you were greeted with a careless attitude and a monotone sigh? Oh, it's you again. Come on in. You wouldn't visit them anymore, would you? Do you think the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to come into a place when he is not given due honor and reverence? Do you think the master of all creation is going to speak when his word is not respected enough to be listened to attentively? You're deceived if you do. Tonight when I walked into this building, I did not sense the presence of God at all. Not in the praise, not in the worship, not in the exhortation or during the offering. And there's a reason the Lord never comes when he is not reverenced. The president of your nation would be granted greater honor on this platform tonight simply out of respect for his office. If I stood here with one of your favorite soccer players, many of you would be on the edge of your seats. You'd be eagerly anticipating and listening to every word he spoke, yet while God's word was read a moment ago, you barely listened, for you esteemed it lightly. Leviticus 10.3 says, By those who come near me, I must, re must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be glorified. He said it got really quiet. He went on to speak for quite a bit. And at the end, he just said, If any of you are convicted by God and need to repent, I want you to stand. He said about 75% of the people stood. And he said the presence of God came. He said it washed over that room. He said you could hear sobbing, you could hear people calling out and repenting, you could hear worship just happening spontaneously without anybody saying what to do. He said, it just, it just filled, his presence filled the room. And then it just kind of subsided for a bit. And he said, I just sensed that God was saying, I'm going to come again. I'm going to come some more. Get ready 
don't move out of this. He says, so I just told them. I said, look, God's gonna be coming here. He says, I just got this sense of waves, I think is how he described it. God's gonna be coming in waves, so don't check out, just stay engaged. Don't move on. And he said, and God's presence came again, and it was even heavier. And, and it just it elicited even more worship from people. And, and then he said, I just sense God saying, look out, here I come again. And he said, God's presence came again, and he said, and it came, he said, with the loudest sound, he says, I think I've ever heard. And he said, we checked the sound system. The sound people said it wasn't from them. The people outside the building who were on security heard the noise on the inside, and the people in the building all heard it, and they had no idea what was going on until as he was doing it, he realized, he didn't say this out loud, but he's like, this is the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's Acts 2. It's that sound. And he said, nobody talked about the sound. Nobody worshiped the sound. We were just worshiping God. And his presence came. And it wasn't, he wasn't writing that to say, hey, go chase the sound. He was writing this to say, this is what God does. He comes. His presence, his fresh water fills people and places when he is worshipped. I don't think we necessarily disregard God, but I do think there is a call, a fresh call right now, a new call for us to reevaluate. Are we worshipping God? personally and corporately. And we need to revisit this thing every once in a while. Are you coming to worship? Students, grade school up, whoever's in here, are you coming here to worship God? Are you coming because your parents make you? Students, if you call yourself a Christ follower, it's on you. It's not on your parents. It's on you to worship God. It's on you to be ready to come. It's on you. Your parents can't do the worship for you. You're the ones that have to worship. Are, are you worried more about how cool you look? Whether people friends, whatever, are going to look at you and laugh and think you're whatever? Are you worried about worshiping God? It starts that young. It does. The rest of us, are you coming here giving God all that he's due? Or are you worried about how cool you look? Are you worried about whether you're going to be thought of as just a fool? Emotional, expressive, I don't know, dead, stump, sitting there in contemplation. I, I don't know. Are these times a priority for us or something we just work in once a month, maybe twice a month? If you had your favorite actor here, if you have your favorite sports star, maybe your favorite leader, president, 
I don't know, hero, would you get here early? Would you anticipate it? Would I? God gave us a name, Freshwater. It is what he's been doing. It was what he was doing, and it's what he wants to do in us if we take seriously this call to worship him. And when we do, his presence comes, and it brings healing, and it brings life, and it brings food, and it transforms what this world says is dead. Dead. No hope. No growth. Don't even think about it. And he miraculously brings his transformation. Is your life hard this morning? Worship him. And he'll lift that load. Are you discouraged this morning? Worship him. And let his presence encourage you. Paul says he's the God of all encouragement. Not some, all. Meaning if you want to find any encouragement, it's in Christ. Worship him and encouragement comes. Are you lost? Worship him and he says he'll show you the way. Are you tired? Worship him and he says he'll renew your strength. You ready to quit? Worship him and he'll give you this strength and endurance to go another minute. We are freshwater. He's named us. Let's worship him. Invite the team to come up. And as we worship him, I don't know what this looks like for you. I don't, we're not going to script what it looks like physically, standing, sitting, whatever. Some of you may need to kneel. Some of you need to bow. Some of you need to sit there. And, and here's the thing. God brings healing. God brings life to these things. And uh, if, we get th- if we're going through this and you're just sensing, Matt, I need something more. I, I want something more. And you want people to pray for you. Well, we have this open at the end, the front here. We have people who would love to pray for you. And we see people get healed here. A lot. We see life come. We see people get fed. So let's worship.